What's up, everybody? This is Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And before we start another episode, I just have a few announcements for you all. First, remember to register for Courageous Conversations. It's August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia. Early bird registration is available to June 1st. We have room blocks available, so make sure you go to Courageous Convos, Courageous, C-O-N-V-O-S dot org. Also, we have merch available. People have been asking us for Jew3 apparel. Now it's there. If you go to Jew3project.com, you can get a hoodie, you can get a t-shirt, we even got a coffee mug for you. So check it out at Jew3project.com. And thank you for all of those who partner monthly with us financially. We could not do what we do without people like you. And for those who aren't a financial partner with us, please consider becoming one. Pray about it. You could give whatever you have, 5, 10, 15. We have some people that give a dollar. Whatever we you have, it helps us um, with the mission and vision of the Jew 3 Project and helping black Christians know what they believe and why they believe it. So without further ado, let's get into the next episode of our podcast. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And before we get started, I just want to remind you all to register for Courageous Conversations August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia. You can register at Jew3project.com. It's going to be an amazing time. We have guests like E. Dewey, Dr. Nichelle Gentry, um, Dr. Walter Strickland, uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time. So join us August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia for Courageous Conversations. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. We have a very special guest, um, no stranger to the Jew3 Project, a good friend of mine, BJ Thompson. Welcome, BJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on today. Um, before we get into today's episode, let our audience know who you are for those who haven't seen you on here before. Yeah, for sure. My name is BJ Thompson, um, and I serve as the executive director of an organization called Build a Better Us. Um, Build a Better Us is committed to helping people develop um, both whole person and whole family. Um, and so living cur- currently live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and excited to be here with you today. Awesome. And we're excited to talk to you about something that uh, episode that I made you watch um, of a new show called Boomerang that I've been watching uh, faithfully since it came on. It is it doesn't really it comes from the movie Boomerang, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the actual movie except the daughter of Eddie Murphy and Halle Berry, um, Simone kind of the show is around her and her experiences and her friends that are young professionals um, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, What were your initial thoughts of the show, BJ? Yeah, um, you forced me to watch it. So um, I thought, why is Lisa making me watch this show? Um, So yeah, so I initially was a little hesitant because I was forced to watch it. I didn't get a chance to just watch it. Um, But no, it's a great show. Um, I think that what what it did for me just by observing and watching it um, it did not play into the stereotypical view of black culture, which is like this poor, uneducated, kind of like struggling. This was like middle class, upper class black professionals. 
and the issues that they grapple with, just real life stuff. So I really appreciated the honest dialogue around relationships and around faith and around career um, and then dynamics of things that they're aware, uh, aware of in the world and technology. And so no, I thought it was good. And I think that today's discussion about, you know, even this specific episode is going to be very interesting because I think it brings up a, a concern that many of us don't often talk about within the church. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very helpful. I think it's important for us to realize the different dynamics when we talk about young black professionals like the show brings up, because many a times when we think of young black professionals and we think of apologetics, our mind simply goes to like this whole idea of urban apologetics and black cults. And with these black young professionals and many black young professionals that I know, they kind of have a they look down upon groups that believe in like they'll call them the hoteps um, or Hebrew Israelites. So they're not really actually dealing with the same issues as it relates to church and faith that somebody that may be in a different space might be battling it with. Um, so it's good to make that distinction because you don't want to always, if you think that's the only way to engage black millennials, you'll immediately go to them with that. And they'll be like, nah, we don't believe that, but we don't go to church, but we don't believe that. And so it's important for you to understand that black people are diverse uh, and black issues and uh, black young professionals are diverse. Black millennials are diverse, and we need to to treat it with that nuance. Um, mm-hmm. The issue, the the episode we're going to be talking about today, kind of stems around, it kind of circles around faith, and the main character of that episode was David, who was a pastor who has made a mistake. He is practicing celibacy, and he falls, and he kind of goes into a depression because he wants to practice what he preaches, and he feels like he's He's um, falling into this trap of being a hypocrite. And so his friends who aren't really in the faith, um, Aerie, um, who used to be more involved in church that doesn't go to church, um, is trying to comfort him like, bro, it's not that big of a deal. And he's overwhelmed by the guilt. And so he's trying to navigate that. And it's just interesting to see the, the dynamics. And I think those are very real dynamics for people who are have been in the faith and are wrestling with sin and also their friends who don't necessarily understand why they're wrestling at all. Um, so for, for, for when you think about that, what was your initial thoughts about David? Oh yeah. So no, I loved it. Um, David is a pastor and he, you know, like you said, he, he got into a relationship with a young woman and broke his vow of celibacy. And it just, you know, the brother's in the dark. You know, he's what many of us are. And just full disclosure, I could totally relate to David. Um, I've had moments in my life before I was married that I was like, yo, what do I do with this? How do I now, you know, reconcile my faith with an area where I go like, man, I've made a really poor decision or I keep making poor decisions, you know, in terms of my celibacy and just where that line is. And so I thought it was a really honest assessment of what happens when you truly believe that you are in Christ um, and then have to grapple with as a single person or even as a married person, what a clear violation of your faith in terms of sexuality is. And then how do you get restored? And so I love the honesty. I love that his friends 
was like, bro, just put some powder on your head and like try to <laughs> help help my angel. Yeah, like they were just trying to help him because he didn't know what to do. And so they just had him doing any and everything. And so I think that the depiction of depression, sometimes we think people, and maybe this is a, something we need to dispel. I think sometimes we think that people are willfully running into things and they feel so good afterwards. And I would say, no, there, there's a population of people who profess faith and they just feel good. And they're like, oh, well, this is not a big deal. But there is a large amount of individuals who are within the church, may not be necessarily members. They feel shame. They feel guilt. They feel confusion. And they really don't know what to do um, with that specific area um, of disobedience. And so, yeah, I thought it was a very honest depiction. And I don't think it's often that I've seen it displayed on television, the tension of saying, I both affirm this and I'm wrestling with it at the same time and then having friends to kind of help you walk it through. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the interesting things about it is uh, David represents a lot of young Christians, um, even though he is supposed to be a pastor. He has a very uh, that young Christian kind of uh, flavor to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he he pastor who got elevated to me to see you pastor. Go ahead. <laughs> and then he's kind of over the top. So when he's at the table trying to really reconcile his faith and failure, he breaks out into speaking in tongues and his friends are looking at him like, bro, what's happening? Like, I don't even know what to do. And he was just like, sometimes I just feel it. And I'm just like, I was looking at that as a believer, like what's happening? Like (laughs) you just go at the table with your friends who are not really believers, uh, just going to break out. It's it's confusing. Um, And I do think there is this tension as, people come to faith and are trying to walk it out that they're, we go through extremes. I see it in my own uh, faith journey in undergrad, you know, you go through this zealous, super zealous um, portion. I mean, we were so zealous. We used to go to the club at 11 o'clock at night and, and witness and pray with people in the parking lot until 2 AM in the morning. And, um, so it was just this zeal we had um, for Christ, uh, but then our lives, as far as maturity and relationships, didn't always match that zeal uh, about sharing our faith. And so you go through these movements, and then you kind of balance, get a little bit of balance. Um, and so, what do you think about that, as far as your faith development and seeing that zeal of David and not knowing how to manage and being over the top? Are you going to put me out there like that? At least I see it. You want to put me out on front stage? Yeah. So I, again, I can relate to all of it. I relate to the fact that David was just zealous. He was authentic. He was genuine. And he was immature in, in a very specific area. And I think you know, sometimes we can think that the passages that say all things have passed away, old things have passed away, new things have come. I think we think there's a magical wand over our maturity. Like we believe that once this happens for real, that it's magically waved away. And so any bad habits, any poor discipleship, any anything that you go like, man, this is just a part of my life. We think they've all gone away. And I think you see that with David, you see that with a lot of us is that as life goes on, you, you've heard the saying, old folks say, you ever been through something? And someone replies, no, I haven't been through anything. And the old, old people reply, we'll just keep on living, 
right? Like this is idea that if you just continue to live, you'll see this is much more complex over time. And there's so many nuances that come. And so what I would say is I think you, you mentioned how he just broke out and started speaking in tongues, right? The same way that he broke out and spoke in tongues and is, is, is almost similar to what we mentioned off air, how people just kind of pick up the habits that they've always had, the customs, traditions, and rituals, um, and they just insert them into their adult lives. I was, when I used to grow up, when I was growing up, do you remember those little cross chains? Yes, I had one, right? So like literally my ritual was I had this reverence for God and I used the cross as like my power. Like I could believe and have this power. And then when I was deciding to do something that may be unbecoming of who I thought I was, I would tuck it in. This is a true story. So don't y'all judge me, right? I would tuck it in in that moment, almost as if I was saying like, I don't want this to see, you know, the type of behavior, lifestyle, and living, whatever. And I think I just kind of brought those unspoken practices into my life, right? Like, if I don't pray, then then I am tucking my chain in a new season. And you see that with David. David is just like, man, I just need to try something. So he spoke in tongues over that table. And his friends were kind of, and, and I think, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. His friends kind of just let him have it. Almost as if to say, like, there's something weird about that. Talk to us about the perception. I don't even, I'm not sure how to even say it. The relatability that Christians can kind of lose when they may be so entrenched in those traditions or just kind of like custom that don't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that church can make you lose touch with the rest of the world. Mm. And so I do think in a sense, so there's different extremes, right? So I've seen it. I grew up in a black Pentecostal setting. So I know like church, uh, Pentecostal, Kojic, uh, um, uh, Church of God by Faith, all of these um, denominations in the Pentecostal world. And when you grew up in that space, you start to talk churchy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you make jokes about uh, speaking in tongues, um, going in, catching this Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. And there's this lingo that you have, but when you get around people, if you're still using that, um, they won't understand anything you're saying. But then there's another extreme of an evangelical reform space where you could be talking about um, uh, any kind of doctrinal th- things, doctrinal and theology, and then yeah. you get around people and they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so the relatability of what's going on in the quote unquote real world is not there because you get entrenched in your world and you think everybody's arguing about what you're arguing about and nobody really cares. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for putting a tie on that, Lisa, just letting people know nobody (laughs) really cares. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I think what it says is though is that we are not practicing our faith in a way that's really contextualized with real people. And so that's why it's challenging when you dive into the norms of life and failure and you don't really have a category because we're not discipling in the mix of real people and real life and real situations. I would even say, I call it the bubble, (laughs) right? Like we have bubbles. You can have your Pentecostal bubble where everything is, you know, spiritual and everything that moves and, you know, you cast out everything. 
You can have your reform bubble when everything is just this neat, neatly placed doctrine and these unspoken Christian customs that often assimilate to white, middle, upper class. Like it's all these different things. These are bubbles. But when you move outside of the bubble and you have to be transcendent, that's where you're forced to either, you, you call it um, turn off, turn completely off, or pretend like it's not there. Like you just begin to go around it. You build rituals and routines around it. And so what I would say for us is, I think that some of the, the strangeness isn't just because there's light and darkness. I think some of the strangeness that we see is, we just have to practice our faith in real time with real people, right? And because of it, now when it's things really happen, we don't even have a practice experience around what this should feel like, what this should look like, how this should sound, how do people receive that? And you saw that in the episode, just back to Boomerang, his friends didn't know what to do. When they saw, when they saw him break out in tongues and like literally they kind of stepped back from it and was like, we'll just let him have it because they didn't know how to enter into the space of what he was experiencing. But all they knew was they loved him and they wanted to connect with him and help him. Um, but his the way he was going about it didn't make any sense. So mm -hmm. yeah, what do you think about the, because um, you're mentioning this whole thing. What about our culture leads us to that place, church culture, faith culture, to where even when we need to like repent or be restored, that it feels so impossible, even with people who love us to do. What is that? What What do you see that as? I think sometimes the lack of transparency lets people have a clear uh, blueprint for what it looks like mm. to recover from certain mistakes. So I think that's for many people, uh, many black young millennials and preachers, I think because David is a preacher that most people get married young mm. and so their experiences are very limited so if you got married at 21 and you're speaking on how to be a christian single and you're a leader this is most pastors they get married young yeah well what about singles who are actually 30 35 40 50 who have never been married being single in your for that amount of time and also uh, in this current uh, 21st century looks totally different than if you've been married 20, 30 years and you got married at 21. Good. Uh, life chapters are different. Responsibilities are different. Power dynamics are different. Um, there's just so many different variables. So I think for many people, singles don't find church leadership being able to relate or connect to them mm. um, because everything is centered around families. Um, and then the advice that is given is not realistic for uh, the current situations. Um, and so it becomes irrelevant. Um, the information is like, oh, that's, that makes sense for 20 years ago when you're 21. Uh, but it doesn't make sense for 
a 27 year old, 35 year old living in the 21st century today. So I think, you know, that's one of the reasons. So it's like the, the advice is just not realistic for many people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you said the advice isn't real or we do not experience faith in a way that lends itself to growing vulnerability. I am convinced that part of this this issue, you know, I've been married for 17 years this year, and I actually married my wife around at 21, right? And so marriage um, creates that type of vulnerability, like you can't hide. Um, family, with your parents, right? Like you think about your parents, regardless of what you say, your parents have seen the worst sides of you. Um, you think about your close friends, like they've seen the worst sides to you and chosen to love you. I think that we created churches and faith communities where people graduate from a seminary, they graduate from a college, they get ordained by a board or, you know, a deacon or senior pastor, whatever. And then they become, you know, the spiritual leader. And we hear stories about them, but we never see the worst. And so as things grow over time, they talk to us and they give us things that are true and all these different things, all the while having to incubate things that could be troubling, could be concerning. I think this last two years have shown like, oh, this is like a deep hole, right? Like what happened in Chicago with, you know, a prominent pastor who was a leadership developer and what's happened across the board in a lot of different ways. I think that the church has has created this culture that creates loneliness for leaders because they can't ever show true vulnerability. Not long ago, there was a known speaker, preacher, who had some issues within his marriage. And then so he gets on stage and he says, you know, where do leaders go when they hurt? And you go, oh, like you're leading out of this sometimes 500, 600 you know, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 people. And the person leading us in the most, you know, visible way is the most loneliest person. And so I don't, I think that part of the issue um, that we have to ask ourselves isn't just why aren't young, you know, middle-class, upper-class Black millennials not involved in the church? And why are they like, oh, I love God, but I don't fool with the church. We have to ask ourselves, what is it about the church that could be unhealthy, that needs to grow and needs to change in a way that's meaningful. And I think one of the things that needs to grow is you can't be the exclusive person that hears from God anymore, right? So you and the staff and the three people know if you're the one that hears the most from God, that means that as things grow, you'll find yourself with the greatest weight of having to communicate that. And then you have the greatest temptation to project something that may not be true so that it's sustained, so that it's sustained over time. And so that's the danger of what I believe, my observation of how we've constructed American Western church is it puts so much pressure on the individual to be those things. You saw what David did. David in that depiction of Boomerang, he's blown away. He couldn't do anything because he has an entire flock of people looking to him. And yet he doesn't even know where to start, where to repent how to be healthy and sustain the business of the church at the same time. What do you hear in that? What do you see in that? I, I hope that's not too candid. But so I, I think one of the things that his friend said and uh, that I think is, is vital and what happens when we talk about um, 
pastors messing up is the damage they do to people in the process. Mm. And so you talk about the girl sends David this long text and his and he's he was like, Oh, she just sent me this long text. And his friend says to him, Well, she's probably devastated because you were supposed to be different. You were a Christian guy. Mm. And don't do now, Lisa, don't do this. Go ahead. <laughs> and and now you you slept with her and then you ghosted on her. And so you need to actually communicate what's happening because that could be devastating. And this is a friend that's not even a believer saying this to a guy who's supposed to be a believer. Like, this is her mindset. She didn't anticipate this coming from you. And so I think in in certain respects, there's a lot of damage that happens and casualties that happens because leaders can be immature. They don't know how to process relationships. Yeah. Um, they don't know how to navigate dating situations. They don't know how to navigate these situations. So a there's a lot of people damaged in the process. And so they don't necessarily tend to the damage. Now, mm -hmm. one of the things that I liked about David was that instead of texting her he said and taking the advice of his friends, he decided to call her, which showed the level of maturity um, in communication, but still the damage that's done and the process, because he's probably not going to end up with her, is that he slept with her and didn't and does, has no intentions of making this a permanent situation. And so I think for mm -hmm. a lot of young men and women who find themselves in leadership situations or find themselves just believers, be cognizant of the damage you're doing to people in the process of self-discovery, mm -hmm. in the process of trying to understand your faith. Um, I think we don't think about sometimes the damage that we cause people and the fact that, you know, there are people who are nursing wounds from you in your pews or just, just fellow friends or whatever, or colleagues, because we don't know how to handle relationships. Good, good. That to me is the issue is that you can have the name tag, but it does not equate the maturity. And and I think you're right, the damage, the collateral damage. When you say you hear from God the greatest, that means that your activity is a reflection of God himself. So now, you know, we're talking church hurt. We're talking like people's whole lives are devastated because oftentimes we are not emotionally mature. We're not relationally mature. And yet positionally, we are exalted to the highest position of leadership and said to hear from God. And so, yeah, I, I think my observation, even of David was, here he is a senior pastor and he is so emotionally immature. He can't even lead. Like he has to, to cling on to superstitions. And the only thing that he could say was, I guess got to get away from these friends. Y'all the reason why I'm like this. He couldn't say soberly, maybe there's some areas of immaturity in my relational and emotional life. And I need to begin to invest in that in a way that creates a strengthened sobriety and maturity in this area, right? And, and, and I think the, the first place that starts is by being honest with where you are. Now, listen, it doesn't have to be neatly spelled out, <laughs> but you have to be honest, right? And for him, 
I think even as he was saying it, he was still trying to hold on to both as if he was going to lose one or the other. And that's the danger of church being a business, right? Is you need to be honest about some things as they grow, but you're afraid that you're going to ruin some type of continuity in the flow of programs and services and all different things. And all the while, there's a big cancer growing underneath. And so what I would say practically is repent quickly. And I don't mean that in a rush process. I just mean in the sober spaces, do not wait. If you are a person in the faith, in a position of leadership, I'm not saying rush the process of repentance, but repent quickly. Do not allow yourself to just let things fester because that's where the greater growing collateral damage. And we have millions of people who have been impacted by people even in recent years, simply because the leader back then when they knew this was festering, did not cry for help, but waited until it was discovered and then became a national and in a global scandal in it. So talk to us about Lisa, how we can attract these millennials. And then what are some things that we can do to deal with even a wrestle of sexual sin? Like, I feel like we make that the greatest way. How do people, how do we then begin to grapple through that if that is our truth or our reality? I think one of the things uh, when it talks about, when we talk about reaching Black millennials is that we need to understand that every person is different. And so Mm. obviously we're looking, obviously, many times for blanket things that could be done. We're looking for anything that could, we're looking for one size fits all to everything. So we're looking for one size fits all to reaching millennials, one size fits all to reaching Gen Z. There's really no one size fits all because every person is different. Mm -hmm. So relationships are going to be key things, uh, programs that talk about issues that are relevant. Um, And then also there needs to be intentionality around um, sexuality, um, conversations, what it looks like for we we're talking, having conversations around purity. Um, one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, the other week, we were talking about sexual purity and how damaging sometimes our sexual purity conversations are. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, this wasn't really, I didn't really think about this that much until recently. Um, I was just driving down the street and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I used to, when I was a um, teenager, we used to go to youth, youth, uh, youth events. You and youth or youth? I heard of youth, like with an F. <laughs> youth youth I'm sorry, youth events. I thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but youth events, we used to go to youth events, and um, they used to always give us like make the commitment for purity um, at the end of it, and so. It hit me as I was, I've been talking to friends who've experienced sexual trauma in childhood, how devastating it is for them to have to sit there and make a vow of purity or to hear other people magnify their sexual purity and they didn't even have that option because it was taken from them. And I was talking to a friend who had, um, he had been molested 
up as a child. And he, it almost brought him to tears when I said that. He was like, you get it. He said, imagine how devastating it was for me to go to church and having all these sexual desires. And I was molested at five by a man. Mm. And so he's telling me this. And I was like, man, I never thought of it like that. So I think we just need to have more conversations because a lot of people in our community have been sexually violated as as children. And so what does that do to your thinking about purity and sexuality um, that we don't address because we blanket everything? Um, and we give kind of these one size fits all answers to questions um, that people are wrestling with. Woo-hoo. So basically what I'm hearing you say is that you have to have high empathy, um, high transparency, and you have to have a greater sense of care and love that helps meet people right where they are instead of trying to create this large swooping understanding of sexuality relationships. We call it just being able to be with people, right? Um, and so what I would say is on my end, part of the, the greatest concern I have is that the culture and the times are revealing, right? They're revealing a lack of character, a lack of well-roundedness in a way that you've never seen before. And because we, we say now, we say, oh, well, people don't like the church. No, people don't like hypocrites. They love the church. People love people who are measured through hope, love, peace, joy, kindness, and faith. People love that. They do not have a good time with people who are enforcing traditions that are void of love, that are void of empathy, that are void of patience. And so what I think is, I think that a lot of ways the church is not dying, it's being refined, right? And I think it's, it's on us. What Jesus said, he said, before you go to remove the speck from your brother's eye, you need to remove the plank from your own eye. And so for many of us, we need to take the sober time to be introspective about our lives and where are we? And where is our emotional intelligence? Where is our relational maturity? And what are the relationships that have revealed them? You know, David, I think, and this is just a real positive spin on it. Instead of David um, from Boomerang, for those of you watching, don't know what I'm talking about. Instead of allowing himself to go into this deep, dark cave of depression, once he fell, um, his, his vow to see. I think he can use it just as a as a measuring rod where he really is, right? Because it's relationships that reveal issues, they don't create the issue, right? And so I think what it what it could be is a better opportunity to say, hey, this is where I'm at, right? Um, one of my sayings is this, it's okay to not be okay. Okay. It's not okay to suffer in silence. And here's what I mean by that. I think sometimes we believe that. If we're just suffering, then we're suffering. And if it's, oh, I'm not okay to not be okay. It is okay to be okay. But people can't read your mind about you not being okay, right? So the way that that thing is impacting you, it may not be impacting anyone else in the same way, but the way it's impacting you is very deeply rooted. And you process it and you think about it and you sleep and you wake up. It's always these things that are happening to you. You need to tell somebody. (laughs) You need to talk to someone about it. And explain to them, this is where you are. And this is the first step towards freedom. Remember, it's honesty 
and this intentionality around who you are. So, yeah. And I would say, too, because I think a lot of this deals with uh, church. When we're talking about church hurt, there has to be only a part of the offended. I think as you start to process the hurt in some spaces, you're going to have to develop a empathy for even those who've offended you. Um, because I could think of, you know, I've had friends that have been in that same space as David and I dealt harshly with them in my young zealous days. And I was very harsh. I was very rude. I said some, some things that were true, but they weren't done in the right. They weren't tempered. Um, you know, I, the ways in which I phrased stuff shouldn't have been phrased that way. Uh, and I was, I didn't have a lot of grace. I was kind of legalistic. And so, but as I developed, I was able to give advice more temper. Now I might not have been able to get advice to the person that I did in the past because they don't necessarily want to hear it from me, but now I'm much more temper and measure, but that came through a process of growth. Yeah. So I said that to say that sometimes in situations we damage people with our words trying to help them. And then that creates hurt within them that evolves into church hurt that they have to process. Um, and so along in that process, I've had some relationships that have been restored mm-hmm. where I was just able to apologize for the way I came off. And it's like, don't measure church based on the way I treated you. Because my intention was very pure. Yeah, I just was young and not wise and didn't have my, um, I wasn't seasoned with my approach. And so, you know, that's an area of growth. So give people time to grow um, as you think through how people have may mishandled you in church on some levels. Now, some things that when it comes to abuse and sexual assault and things mm-hmm. like that, there needs to be a different level of, of discipline there. But, you know, in some instances, um, I think we need to be gracious sometimes um, in hindsight. Does that make sense? It does. Because we're, we're all in the process of growth. And then I've been on the opposite end of church hurt where I've had, I've dated, I was dating the guy that was a preacher and he was very deceptive. And so <laughs> to his family, to his friends, to me, and it was very damaging when we all found out the truth. And so, you know, that amount of hurt you get from a person who is a preacher, who you're planning on building the life with, and you're thinking is going to be who you're going to be with for the rest of your life can be very traumatizing. And then I had to work through that aspect of church hurt being somebody being church hurt from a person that I felt like was a leader, um, a Christian leader and having to navigate that space of how I looked at young preachers and, you know, I had to nap. So I've been on both sides of church hurt and you have to really be prayerful and seek counseling and ask God to help you during those times. Good. What would you want to add BJ? Yeah. Um, what I would add to the audience listening about the areas of church hurt and process, I love that you're saying you have to be humble enough to realize 
the people are human. This is this is what I meant when I say take the weight off of individuals from having the most wise voice from God. That's not true. Your pastor, as wise as he is, he doesn't hear from God the most. Um, he hears from God potentially in a mature way, but you you too can hear from God. And I think that we need to start practicing that and taking that weight off of them. If your preacher won't take that weight off himself, your pastor won't do that, you need to take it off and say, hey, only the only hero here is God himself. There is not a hero just because you get paid a salary here. I think the other thing is we talked about now suffering silence, work through it. You know, I know it's scary. We mentioned this before off air. Sometimes we get to places of hurt and we don't want to work through it because it's painful. It's hard. We've been harmed. We feel like there's been a malicious intent or there's been negligence or we're just done with the whole thing. And what I want to encourage you with is on the other side, you'll be stronger, right? When you when you begin to deal with these things, because this is what you need, right? Like you still need a connection with God. You can't go years without talking to God anymore because you're going to go see him face to face anyway, right? Like you're going to talk, stop talking to him now. Don't worry. You'll talk to him later, right? Like it's going to come. Like you should not have to neglect the things you need just because of the trauma. And so I want to encourage those who are dealing with church hurt and trauma. Make sure you go to the Build Better Us podcast, myself and licensed therapist, uh, Johnny Parker. We just dropped a recent episode on church hurt, this very topic, where we talk about how do, what are the practical steps of walking through those things. And so, but I want to say on the other side, you'll be stronger. Um, and that is the most shocking part of it, is that you're not the first or the last person that's going to walk through church hurt. And for the people who have done it soberly and honestly, um, and with the assistance potentially of a therapist, a counselor, again, make sure you visit buildabetters.com, click get involved. Uh, we have great life coaches, which I'm one of them, um, that's there to help you walk through that. You'll find that you're stronger on the other side. And now as you begin to engage your faith, you have an ex- a, a reservoir of experiences that you can pull from to better navigate within the future. So, yeah. And I always say when you're healed, you tell the story differently. Um, and you tell the story with a little bit more grace, even if the person was completely in the wrong, you're more gracious and measured in how you tell it. And one of the things that, you know, I, I know a ton of women that have been through situations like me have been hurt by uh, pr- people that are, were preachers or people that you just thought were, you know, godly men and that the situation didn't turn out like you anticipated. But I think looking back over that, that, that happened to me like, maybe 2012 is when we we stopped talking. Um, But one of the things that I learned from that, um, no, 2011, one of the things that I learned from that is it hadn't, if I had not been through that experience, I would not have been able to do what I do today. Mm -hmm. So I'm with preachers all the time. That's just my job. And so the discernment that came from that experience helps me navigate that situation. Um, helps me decipher who is, I'm not able to tell you who's 100% telling the truth or who's 100% for real, because that just would be, uh, uh, that would, I would be God if I could do that. But I have a little bit more discernment that I wouldn't have had. And I'm able to see, okay, I can kind of see where the, who the sheep and the wolves are and what I need to watch out for. But I wouldn't have not had that experience 
um, I would not have that wisdom had I not had that experience. So now what was very horrible and painful for me during that time, I think of, I think of it now as a blessing. And so you're able to look back and see how God, the grand weaver, can really work all things out for your good. How can people keep in contact with you on social media, BJ? Uh, follow me at BJ116 on Twitter, at your own risk. Um, I'm usually pretty gracious. Um, also, you can follow me um, at BJ Thompson 116 on um, Instagram and then BJ Thompson on Facebook. And if you want to hear more, more about our organization, visit buildabetterus.com um, and you can find all sorts of resources. One of the resources that we recommend for you just you know, just to create an experience. Um, we have two books we just dropped this past November called A Better Him and A Better Her. Um, and it's a 31-day challenge around your self-care, your soul care, um, and your relational health and growth. And so make sure you go pick those up from our website, buildabetterus.com. It's under store. Um, and then also get involved with our coaches. If you need some additional help, you go to Get Involved, and you can find one of our life coaches who will meet with you and talk with you through your issues. Dope. Well, thank you so much. And remember, y'all, y'all remember my announcement at the beginning, register for Courageous Conversations, August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta. And if you would like to become a monthly partner and support the Jude 3 Project, you can do so at Jude3Project.com. And we have merch available. The more combos, less debate shirts are available. Just the Jude 3 Classic shirts are available. Um, check them out. Remember here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe and why you believe it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching jute3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to jute3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.